Welcome to this episode of the VO2 Lounge podcast. In this episode, I'll be talking all about hot and cold therapy, aka saunas and ice plunges, ice baths, whatever you want to call them. Um, Hot and cold exposure has had a recent rise in popularity uh, with various new devices kind of popping up popping up on the market and into like your sort of marketing streams. I would say the biggest one, probably the one I hear the most is Plunge, for example, uh, which is a device that acts as, well, it can act as a hot and cold uh, exposure tub and these kind of retail, I think for like four and a half thousand dollars. So these are quite expensive items. Um, all of this stems from the reported health benefits, in particular, a reduction in all-cause mortality. Uh, people are often reported being more stimulated and motivated post-cold exposure, whether that being from an ice bath or just a regular cold shower. Uh, for the purpose of this episode, I'll be mainly focusing on the health benefits that I've found uh, within uh, literature. Um, but I will also mention probably in here some of the more uh, anecdotal and subjective, maybe anecdotal, maybe not the correct, correct word, but subjective kind of benefits. Um, yeah. Okay, so with that, should we, we'll talk about some of the high level benefits of hot and cold exposure just to go over what I will cover within the episode. The main benefits listed from regular hot and cold exposure um, are decreased cardiovascular and all cause mortality. Uh, lower incidence of hypertension, reduced incidence of uh, respiratory diseases, reduced incidence of Alzheimer's disease and dementia. I think mainly rather than a reduced incidence, it's more of a reduction in the progression of Alzheimer's and dementia. And then these benefits are reported to stem from uh, factors such as reduced blood pressure, improved uh, relaxation, increased sweating, fluid loss, uh, reduced arterial stiffness and improved uh, endothelial function, uh, improved cognitive and mental health, improved health and in- endocrine system, improved immune and respiratory function. So from all this, it's clear why, one, people are quite interested, and two, why I'm interested and have made this episode. So as always, the disclaimer. Before going any further, I would like to get it out of the way now. The content and the materials featured or linked to on this podcast are for your information and education only and are not intended to address your particular personal requirements. The information does not constitute medical advice or recommendation and should not be considered as such. I'm not a medical professional and therefore not able to provide medical advice. And with that out of the way, we can get on to the origins and the requirements of hot and cold therapy. So, bathing in heat... Uh, for the purpose of purification, cleansing, and healing, is quite an ancient practice, uh, observed for thousands of years across many cultures. Variations of this use appear today in, uh, I think they're called benyas of Russia, the sweat lodges of the American Indians, and the saunas of Finland. Sauna use, sometimes referred to as sauna bathing, which is characterized by short-term passive exposure to high temperatures, Uh, typically ranging from 45 degrees celsius to 100 degrees celsius 100 i was i was amazed personally it's pretty hot so depending on the modality used longer exposure time usually means cooler temps 
Uh, this exposure results in a mild hypothermia and increase in the body's core temperature that induces a thermoregulatory response involved in various mechanisms that participate in restoring homeostasis and conditioning the body for future stresses. Uh, this is similar to exercise in general where the stressor provides the body with the stimulus to adapt and you know the more often you do it the greater the stimulus so the the finish style is kind of really i feel like what most people would be familiar with um so the finish style of using sauna involves one to three sessions of heat exposure lasting between five and 20 minutes but sometimes longer with longer sessions showing more robust health benefits in studies um now this has periods of cooling placed in between the sessions and this is where you get this hot cut idea that people are talking about of going from hot to cold, hot to cold. This is actually what the Finnish do. The, the methods used to cool off uh, vary from jumping into snow or immersing yourself in cold water. Uh, the idea being that this will stress the body even further. It's known uh, periodic exposure to both hot and cold helps improve uh, vascular function due to the body changing the level of cooling or heat retention it needs to employ. Uh, when jumping between extremes, the extreme gradient accelerates the transition and is meant to further improve the function. Um, when an individual returns to the sauna after a swim in ice-cold water, this effect is uh, evident by feeling of swollen hands and legs together with strong pulsation sensations as blood flows strongly. Um, stimulated by these extreme variations in temperature so it's all kind of normal and that's, that's just what is expected really so what's the physiological response to this heat stress uh, well exposure to high temperature stress uh, stress sorry exposure to high temperature stresses the body um, it resulting in a rapid response that affects primarily uh, the skin and cardiovascular system. Uh, the skin heats first as it is in contact with the air rising to approximately 40 degrees Celsius followed by uh, changes in core body temperature which rises slowly from about from 37 to approximately 38 and then increases rapidly after this point to roughly 39 degrees C. Uh, cardiac output during heat exposure can increase by as much as 60 to 70 percent while the heart rate increases to as much as 150 beats per minute and the stroke volume remains stable so the amount of blood the heart is actually pumping per beat remains constant uh, along with this yeah, approximately 50 to 70 percent of the body's circulation um, redistributes from the core to the skin to facilitate sweating uh, resulting in fluid losses at a rate approximately uh, 600 mil to, well, sorry, between 0.6 and 1 kilogram, which I was correct, sorry, 600 mil to effectively a liter because a liter of water is equivalent to a kilo. So whichever way you want to look at it, either 0.6 of a kilo to 1 kilo or 600 mil to um, a liter per hour, averaging approximately 0.5 during a moderate temperature finished style sauna session moderate being somewhere between 80 and 90 degrees so you can see it's still pretty hot um, acute heat exposure also induces an increase in overall plasma volume to help mitigate the decrease in core blood volume uh, this increase in plasma volume provides a reserve source 
of fluid for sweating uh, cools the body to prevent rapid increase in core body temperature and promotes heat tolerance. This is something that people who live in a hot climate will have. Sometimes you may hear people saying, oh, I've come from a cold country, blood's thick. It, it's more just and people assume thinning with more plasma. The concept is basically you just have more plasma. When people live in hot countries, they will have uh, greater plasma to allow for heat rejection. Um, so repeated sauna use uh, acclim acclimates the body to heat and optimizes the body's response to future heat exposure, um, most likely due to the biological phenomenon known as uh, hormesis, um, a comp compensatory defense response following exposure to mild stressors that is uh, disproportionate to the magnitude of the stressor itself. Um, hormesis triggers a vast array of protective mechanisms that not only repair cell damage but also provide protection uh, from subsequent exposure to more devastating stressors. Uh, exercise is an example of a hormetic stressor. Um, interestingly, many of the physiological responses to sauna use are incredibly similar to those experienced during uh, moderate to vigorous intensity aerobic exercise. And sauna use has been proposed as an alternative to aerobic exercise for people who are unable to engage in physical activity due to chronic disease or physical limitations. Um, I think that should be a little bit of a hint to people that exercise should come first. Then if you have more time on your hands, then, um, then sauna bathing will make a good addition. Uh, focus on the low-hanging fruit people. Um... At the end of the day, uh, sauna is unfortunately unable to induce the same amount of muscular uh, perfusion as exercise, essentially muscle, like peak muscle blood flow, and it's enough of a stressor to cause a large-scale adaptions as exercise. Sorry, isn't enough of a stressor. So, similar to exercise in its outline to some extent, but still not as great as uh, exercise so in listening to well should i say the motivation for this was various different sources and podcasts that i heard it on quite often and heat shock proteins and brown fat were things that are chucked in there i would say and often maybe they were and i wasn't listening carefully enough but i feel like often they were not uh, in too much detail so i felt like it was important to touch on heat shock proteins and brown fat within this so one of the protective adapted responses to heat stress is the increased expression of heat shock proteins. Uh, these proteins play a, pro a prominent role in many cellular processes, including immune function, cell signaling, cell cycle regulation, and proteome homeostasis. Loss of proteome integrity is a hallmark of the aging process. Very interesting. Uh, Damage dysfunctional Proteins are common features in age-related diseases such as cardiovascular and neurodegenerative uh, diseases. Increased expression of um, heat shock proteins prevents protein disorder by repairing proteins that have been damaged. Um, and animal evidence suggests that heat shock proteins may offer protection against neurodegenerative diseases. Um, so you can see why people are quite interested in it and mention it quite often. Um, heat shock proteins also help to moderate muscular atrophy, which is another hallmark of aging. 
Um, and as well as this, heat shock proteins are associated with human longevity. Quite clearly because you've got a prevention of neurodegenerative diseases. Um, you've got uh, a prevention of uh, muscle atrophy. These are kind of two major factors in aging. And obviously the better you can um, keep these at bay, the better longevity you're going to have effectively. Um, for some context... A population-based uh, association study of Danish um, nonagenarians, which are some are people between the ages of 90 and 99, uh, demonstrated that female carriers of a single nucleotide polymorphism, uh, SMPs, basically where only one of the basic building blocks has been affected, uh, which happens to be where 90% of the uh, genetic variation comes from in humans that's within like a bit of genetic code um, in specific gene uh, regions of the heat shock protein 70 gene that increases the gene stability and active um, activity live approximately one year longer than non-carriers so basically people these 90 to 99 year old women who carried the heat shock protein 70 um, approximately lived one year longer than non-carriers uh, 30 minutes of heat of exposure to 73 degree celsius uh, room is reported to increase heat shock proteins by up to 49 percent which is sustained over time uh, with heat acclimated individuals seem to be more rapid seeing a more rapid rise than unacclimated individuals so on to brown fat uh, brown adipose tissue fat is localized only in special small deposits around the body mostly in the neck area and this is activated by cold exposure so a cold adaption effectively uh, in contrast to white fat um, your general subcutaneous or fat on your body um, which stores fat brown fat mainly burns energy which is then released as heat Brown fat is activated by the cold and the cold of the environment has been shown to re uh, relate to higher cold fat activation and lower overall body weight. Although skeletal muscles are also very important contributors, brown adipose tissue plays a role in energy uh, expenditure and in response to acute cold exposure. Uh, skeletal muscles uh, in use, sorry, skeletal muscle is used in shivering to heat up. Uh, to heat us up uh, when it's cold which is an incredibly efficient mechanism by the way that can increase heat production close to five times uh, our baseline production of heat um, so back to brown adipose tissue um, brown ad adipose tissue uh, oxidative capacity and activity increase in response to repeated cold exposure leading to changes in lipid metabolism uh, these effects on metabolism may contribute to human health, although glucose metabolism also plays a role, as that has been shown to be impaired in brown adipose tissue of type 2 diabetic patients. So it's a bit of a give and take. Um, therefore, um, as active uh, activation of brown fat may prevent body adiposity and release metabolic lick and cardiovascular disorders repeated cold exposure may also be beneficial for health from this angle so this is what brown fat is however with this in mind so this is the bit that i think has been well maybe it hasn't but i'm just going to say i had not realized 
Um, with this in mind, it is important to note that uh, as actual brown fat deposits are only a few grams, browning of white fat to a substantial extent would need to uh, show need to be shown uh, physiologic relevant effects on whole body met metabolism. As an investigation in humans has shown that purely brown fat thermogenesis can only account for energy consumption of less than 20 calories a day. This amount of energy consumption can be obtained by doing moderate intensity physical activities such as brisk walking or like moderate intensity running for only about two minutes. Uh, this emphasizes the importance and potential of physical activity in the prevention and treatment of uh, excessive body adiposity and related cardiometabolic disorders. Although activation of brown fat by cold could certainly be applied as an additional therapy on top of this. In addition, uh, the benefits of exercise are better documented than brown fat. So, that's brown fat. And that's heat shock proteins. Now you know. So now on to the benefits of hot and cold exposure for longevity in a in greater detail. We've gone over the kind of high level element of it. But now it's time to dive into each individual aspect. So starting off with cardiovascular health. So heat exposure induces protective responses that promote cardiovascular health. Some um, some of these responses are similar to those experienced during exercise. For example, heart rate may increase up to 100 beats per minute during moderate temperature and sauna bathing sessions and up to 150 beats per minute during hotter sessions, as already mentioned. Uh, this is similar to a response to low and moderate intensity exercise like zone 2. Um, like exercise, regular sauna use generally decreases systolic and uh, diastolic uh, blood pressure increases left ventricular ejection fraction and reduces left ventricular ejection time effectively the efficiency of the heart um, enhances arterial compliance and improves endothelial function which is effectively your body's control over uh, contraction and dilation so phasodilation and constriction of your blood vessels uh, a bit like exercise, studies de um, demonstrate a dose-dependent cardiovascular benefits associated with, with frequency and duration of sauna use. Uh, the risk for sudden cardiac death was 22% lower for men using a sauna two to three times per week in a study, with uh, and the risk was 63% lower for men who used the sauna four to seven times per week compared to men who used the sauna once a week. Uh, as a duration, the risk as for duration, sorry, the risk for sudden cardiac death among men was seven percent lower among those who sauna you, uh, sauna sessions were eleven minutes or less, and was fifty two percent lower among those who sauna sessions were nineteen minutes or more. So very similar to exercise in that respect. Additionally, aerobic exercise in combination with frequent sauna use has a synergistic uh, effect on lowering cardiovascular-related mortality and all-cause mortality. Now, the strongest reductions uh, in mortality uh, in a study were found in people with high cardiorespiratory fitness and high-frequent sauna bathing, followed by high cardiorespiratory fitness and low-frequent sauna bathing, and then low cardiorespiratory fitness and high-frequent sauna bathing. 
more evidence to show the importance of exercise and although sauna use is great because clearly high um, cardiovascular fitness and sauna bathing was higher than just a high uh, fitness on its own but clearly if you're having one or the other fitness trumps uh, sauna use. Uh, sauna use again shares another similarity with exercise in its effect on hypertension. In fact, a single sauna session has been shown to lower blood pressure and improve arterial compliance when assessed immediately after a sauna session. These effects in this study were sustained during a 30-minute recovery period. As such, sauna use may serve as a non-pharmacological means to address or even prevent uh, hypertension, just like exercise does. Moving on to its effects on lipid profile. So dyslipidemia is a strong predictor of cardiovascular disease risk. Uh, this refers to unhealthy levels of one or more lipids, which are fats, in your blood, like LDLC and HDLC. So the low-density lipoprotein C and high-density lipoprotein C. Um, now cholesterol is key for your body. So cholesterol is is crucial. Um, it just happens that lipoprotein uh, that carries it can cause some issues. In particular, uh, low-density lipoproteins, uh, as they can uh, bury themselves in artery walls and impair blood flow. Uh, this is thought to be made worse by hypertension. Um, studies have demonstrated that regular sauna use modulates serum cholesterol and lipoproteins in healthy adults. Uh, both men and women who were exposed to 7 30-minute sauna baths over a period of two weeks exhibited a reduced total plasma cholesterol concentrations and reduced plasma LDL concentrations assessed immediately after a final sauna session. So clearly there is some kind of impact that is happening here on um, the lipid profile. Uh, but again, like a lot of these things, there is still research needed to kind of clarify the benefits and it's not I'm not saying it's not clear cut but there's there's always a need for further work and larger sample sizes and more controls and so on and so on and so on so then one for people who are interested in fitness or have ever used a fitness tracker hrv um, so if you've ever looked at a wearable device uh, you will have heard about heart rate variability. Um, heart rate variability is a measure of the variation in time between heartbeat intervals. Opposing inputs from the sympathetic, which is your flight or flight, and the parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. Branches of the autonomic nervous system work in tandem to regulate heart rate and modulate heart rate variability. Where, um, whereas increased sympathetic activity or decreased parasympathetic activity act, uh, accelerate heart rate and lower HRV, decreased sympathetic activity or increased parasympathetic activity uh, slows heart rate and increases uh, heart rate variability. A higher HRV or greater variability between heartbeats uh, is an indicator of autonomic nervous system health. As a result, HRV is a well-established marker of cardiovascular risk. Um, aerobic exercise induces autonomic nervous system responses, 
in cardiovascular system and in turn strongly influences HRV both during and after training. Uh, evidence suggests that uh, sauna elicits similar effect to exercise to increase uh, HRV via modulation of the autonomic nervous system. Like exercise, sauna use is a stress factor and during it your sympathetic system is wound up and HRV goes down but after this HRV returns and is improved from baseline. What is not clear but could be assumed is that like training, saunas could have the ability to go too far which would show up in HRV data as not returning to baseline. An HRV tracker can be a useful metric to assess uh, the restfulness and see uh, if you are overtraining or in this case overexposure to sauna use that's mainly a thing where restfulness scores and so on from come from on things like whoop bands and uh, garmin watches and so on a lot of it's based on this heart rate variability and how it changes over time your end number to some extent isn't like major it's not like vo2 max where you're trying to compare from each other it's more just what is your HRV baseline um, and can you improve it? And if it deviates too far either way, you know something's uh, up. Uh, inflammation is another kind of hot topic amongst people looking to better themselves and improve longevity. So inflammation is a critical element of the body's immune response. Uh, but chronic inflammation, on the other hand, plays a key role in development of many diseases, including cancer, cardiovascular disease and diabetes. Markers of inflammation increase with aging, but exercise provokes an inflammatory response driven by a release of pro-inflammatory uh, cytokines. These are small proteins responsible for cell signaling, which in turn provoke a counter-response driven by the release of anti-inflammatory cytokines. These exercise-induced response is due in part to the increase in core body temperature that accompanies and likely explains some of the benefits associated with regular exercise and with that provokes a reason for sauna supporting uh, support around inflammation. It is suggested that because of the passive nature of sauna exposure that it may be particularly well suited for individuals who are unable to participate in regular exercise due to physical or cognitive limitations so i mean again it's just more of the same to some extent uh it's its benefits mirror some of the benefits that are seen from exercise exercise will be always be on top but this is a great supplementary additive to your regime if you have the time and if for whatever reason you are in a period where you're unable to train then uh the sauna exposure could be a very useful tool. And next on the list is neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, so heat stress and exercise increase the expression of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, uh, BDNF if you've seen it written down that way, which is a protein that acts on neurons in the central and peripheral nervous system to promote the growth of new neurons. Findings from large observational studies of middle-aged men living in Finland demonstrated that men who used a sauna four to seven times per week had a 65% reduced risk of developing Alzheimer's disease compared to men who used the sauna only one time per week. Um, there may be multiple mechanisms by which frequent sauna use may be preventing neurodegenerative diseases, 
but normal cognitive function is dependent upon sufficient blood flow to the brain and the peripheral nervous system. For this reason, cardiovascular disease and cognitive decline are common comorbidities. Effectively, basically, they are often both present with each other at the same time. For example, hypertension alters the microarchitecture of the cerebral blood vessels and impairs blood uh, flow to the brain. Poor cerebral blood flow is commonly observed in mice and humans and is thought to accelerate the progression of Alzheimer's disease. Um, and in addition, heat exposure increases the production of BDNF to promote neurogenesis. And then lastly, uh, heat shock proteins, which increase following sauna use, demonstrate critical roles in preventing Alzheimer's disease, as described previously uh, in this episode. Then comes the endocrine system and particularly growth hormone. Um, so growth hormone secretion progressively declines with age and may contribute to sarcopenic obesity and frailty. Two things again which you're looking to avoid if you're looking to live longer and uh, have a higher quality of life. Uh, sauna, prom uh, sauna use promotes uh, transient growth hormone release which varies according to time, temperature and frequency of exposure. For example, two 20-minute sauna sessions at 80 degrees C, separated by a 30-minute cooling period, elevated growth hormone levels twofold over baseline, but two 50-minute sauna sessions at 100 degrees C of dry heat, separated by 30 minutes of cooling period, resulted in a five-fold increase in growth hormone. Interestingly, repeated exposure to whole body heat uh, treatment through sauna use has even more profound effect on boosting growth hormone immediately afterwards. Uh, so 17 men and women were exposed to a one-hour sauna session at 80 degrees C. Uh, heat per day for seven days exhibited a 16-fold increase in growth hormone levels by the third day. Uh, the growth hormone effects generally persist for a few hours post-sauna, um, and it's noteworthy, however, that sauna use and exercise work synergetically and significantly elevate growth hormone when used together. It's one of the common things people will talk about uh, leg day. They say there's more growth hormone released when you do leg day. But effectively, both of these is just the summary of a lot of this is that sauna use elicits very similar benefits at least some, a lot of benefits that exercise already does, um, the sauna use sort of compounds them to some extent. So as we are talking about growth hormone and frailty, it's important to also talk about the reported reduction in muscle loss as a result of sauna exposure. So muscle loss occurs during an aging process but can also result from disease or trauma just any time you've become sedentary um, or any time there's been damage. Although exercise can help combat muscle loss, some medical conditions or physical limitations can make exercise difficult or even impossible. You may have had a broken limb or a major operation that results in you being either bedbound or just unable to carry out anything too strenuous. Uh, whole body hypothermia is thought to possibly preserve or increase muscle mass um, and may also increase mitochondrial biogenesis. A small study in healthy young individuals found that two 60-minute sessions of whole-body hypothermia at 44 to 50 degrees C with a 50% humidity separated by one week led to an increased activity of the AKT mTOR 
biological pathway, which is critical for a uh, critical regulator in maintaining skeletal muscle mass. It also increased the mitochondrial biogenesis. So there is room to say that there is a possibility that if you come into an instance where you're trying to maintain the muscle mass, I, I personally think it'd be a really useful tool for both athletes, whether it's endurance or strength, when you come into your off-season and maybe you want to take a month away from the gym or the bike or running or whatever it is and to preserve a lot of those uh, adaptions, it almost looks like sauna use could be the perfect thing to use because depending on your sport, you could be spending a lot of time and just doing something different, just going into the sauna or some kind of hot and cold exposure four times a week could be a really good way of maintaining a lot of these adaptions by the looks of things but again a lot of this they always suggest more work needs to be doing but this really piqued my interest now as i've mentioned athletes and whatever i think it's probably good to move on to the possible improvements in cardiovascular fitness so physical fitness is a critical component of human health and independent predictor of mortality as I have said many times before already, and it's just huge. However, many factors contributed to physical fitness decline with age. For example, the easy one to do is maximal oxygen consumption, VO2 max, declines approximately 10% per decade of life, regardless of activity level. There is a bit of, like, maybe elite athletes can push this to, like, 30 rather than 25 where it begins to decline, but for the most part... VO2 max is going to start dropping off. Maintaining physical fitness in older adults is associated with uh, preserved cognitive function, reduced frailty, and overall improved quality of life. Heat stress from sauna use may cause improvements in physical fitness by increasing the cardiorespiratory fitness and endurance and preserving muscle mass as already stated earlier. So a small intervention study investigated the effects of repeat sauna use on endurance and other physical effects in six male distance runners. The findings showed that one 30-minute sauna session twice a week for 30 weeks post-workout increased the time that it took for the study participants to run until exhaustion by 32% compared to their baseline. These endurance improvements were accompanied by a 7.1% increase in plasma volume and a 3.5% increase in um, urocytes, sorry, <laughs> which are your red blood cells effectively. Uh, during exercise, urocytes transport oxygen from the lungs to the body's tissue and deliver carbon dioxide to the lungs for ex um, expiration. Increase in red blood cell levels may facilitate these pro this process and improve the endurance. So effectively, it just looks like plasma volume increases as a result to cope with the, uh, the heat. And then as a result, there are some red blood cells that get pulled with this and increased as well. And then obviously better oxygen carrying capacity and better cooling capacity usually means better performance. Um, there are also further improvements in athletic performance due to improvements made by thermoregulatory functions. Uh, an investigation gauged the, effic uh, the efficacy of supplementing normal endurance training with intermittent post-exercise sauna bathing in 20 trained university athletes between the age of 18 and 22 years. 
Um, so participants completed a 30-minute sauna session at 101 to 108 degrees. So bloody hot. Three times per week for three weeks. Commencing with approximately five minutes um, of engaging in low-intensity continuous outdoor uh, exercise. So just after basically low-intensity work. Uh, heat tolerance test revealed that the sauna user's heart rate decreased by 11 beats per minute. Uh, skin temperature decreased by 0.8 degrees C and pre-rectal temperature decreased by 0.2. Uh, rectal temperature just a probe up your butt. Uh, compared to non-sauna users, sauna users also experience improvements in VO2 max and speed. Four additional weeks of sauna exposure elicited change in rectal temperature of only 0.1 degree. So, um, why this was interesting for me was that the uh, for an athlete going to compete in a hot climate, um, introducing sauna sessions three weeks before their event could make a substantial difference uh, in their ability to compete for the uh, at their full potential. There was only a point one change for an extra four weeks on top, um, and the eleven beats per minute. I mean. So hey, you do it's a difference between 170 and 181, 160 and 150. It's it's a big difference that capacity really. So I think it could be a, a critical thing, especially if you're living in somewhere uh, that's cold, or you're going to the southern hemisphere from the northern, or vice versa. It could be a good way to prepare the body for uh, the heat really. So, with all this in mind, I thought it'd be unfair to discuss all these possible positive outcomes without addressing some of the concerns around the treatment and just areas to be mindful of. So, heat exposure has notable but reversible effects on male sperm and fertility measures. In a study involving 10 healthy men who underwent two 15-minute sauna sessions at 80 degrees C, well, between 80 and 90 degrees C, Every week for three months, the men experienced reduced sperm counts and uh, motility. Uh, these measures returned to normal, however, within six months. These values returned to baseline with no sauna use during this time period. So just six months of just going cold turkey on sauna use and everything was back to normal. So essentially, if you're trying to have a child, don't use the sauna for that period of time. Or really kind of six months leading up to it so maybe however long it takes but yeah effectively it does affect um, sperm count and motility uh, the same goes for pregnant women although the results and guidelines are a bit unclear it's uh, best to consult with your doctor throughout the pregnancy if you're thinking of uh, continuing to use the sauna in Finland it is common for women to continue using the sauna exposure However, at a reduced level of exposure and temperature, so it's effectively just, you know, using some self-control and guidance and whatever. But best thing to do is always consult with your uh, doctor about what you want to do. Um, as for children, they have less uh, efficient thermoregulatory uh, mechanisms than adults due to their critical differences in their anatomy and physiology. In particular, they have lower sweat rates than adults. Uh, which can compromise their ability to dissipate body heat through evaporation, making them less able to cope with long sauna exposure and more likely to suffer from fainting or, and so on, really. Um, there is a genuine risk of dehydration, so proper hydration and electrolyte balance are critical to maintain the body's fluid balance and promote normal muscle con 
tractility and nerve function as well. Um, as mentioned earlier, approximately 0.5, uh, half a kilogram of fluid is lost to sweat during a single sauna session, but can vary massively from person to person. I think there were some studies on NBA athletes who, during like while in game, they were losing like one and a half kilos an hour. So depends who you are, depends how hot the session is, depends on the humidity, it depends on a whole load of factors. But just making sure you're hydrated on the way in, and if you're going to do like three 20 minute sessions then maybe during one of those breaks just getting some more fluids in and maybe electrolytes and just be sensible i mean our body is great at dealing with heat exposure um but keep it in mind so like me at this point you're probably wondering ugh, a i live in a country where there are saunas but they're usually at fancy kind of I don't know what you call them, not resorts, but like ho big hotels or um, therapeutic kind of lodges or whatever you want to call them, expensive gyms and whatever, and the session's like 20 minutes long, and it's just a bit inconvenient. Um, so what other heat stress modalities are there? Um, so other strategies of elevating core body temperature such as the use of hot water blankets hypothermic baths heating coils or specialized lamps that emit infrared a radiation in a confined area or chamber may also have favorable effects on the cardiovascular and central nervous system now i did see quite a few of these um uh infrared uh, radiation kind of lamp facilities so they seem to be a bit cheaper and a bit more common than the full-blown saunas. But I was like, nah, still kind of the same issues. So focus in on hot water immersion. So hot water immersion in particular elicits benefit, uh, beneficial effects on several markers of cardiac health. For example, hot water bathing for more than five minutes per week was associated with the lower biomarkers of atherosclerosis and lower markers of cardiac loading, a measure of cardiac function, basically. Uh, the temperature and frequency of hot water baths uh, had dose-dependent effects, just like exercise and sauna using, on improving biomarkers of cardiac health. Hot baths have been shown to increase heat shock proteins, a biomarker of heat stress, as we mentioned before. Um, one study demonstrated that waist down immersion in a 40 degree C hot bath for an hour increased the presence of heat shock proteins. Uh, hot baths also elicit favorable effects on the brain, including increased um, cerebral blood flow, particularly in the frontal lobe. Uh, so furthermore, a randomized control trial found that hot water baths for eight weeks had a moderate but significant effect on improving depressive symptoms in um, participants with depressive disorder compared to a placebo treatment. This, when I did look into these baths, that's what came up a lot, this 40 degree C immersion for people with depression. Now, 40 degree C is perfectly uh, achievable. Um, and maybe you spend a bit of money in getting something that can insulate the top of the bath so because an hour is quite a long time and the bath's probably going to get quite cold in that time and you probably have to use a lot of water topping it up so I think in reality you could probably get away with uh, put, getting some kind of uh, cover if you have a hot tub then you're lucky you can just do that uh, but I don't have a hot tub funnily enough 
Now, people may be wondering about the hot 40 degree thing. So, although it's going to use lots of water, it's a little hard to maintain the high temperature, but as I've, just, as I've said, there are ways around this. A hot bath of 40 degrees C appears to have similar effects to the sauna from what we have just said. Um, now, I haven't found any data on this myself actually describing why 40 degrees is used, but as water is much better at transferring heat than air, um, and as we are unable to cool yourself through convection and through, through sweat, I think it's fair to say that 40 degrees C water would be as uncomfortable as much um, and as much as a shock to the body as a room which is much warmer than 40 degrees C for the fact that the water is transferring more heat to you in a faster, more efficient method um, and the fact that you're not able to cool yourself. So effectively, if you soaked in a sauna room for long enough, then you'd soak to the same temperature as the air, but it'd take ages. Um, but then also because your body's... A got an efficient method of cooling itself especially in a dry sauna um, I think it is quite comparable and maybe that is why um, there's similar effects I don't think a hot shower is going to really cut it unless you are willing to have your combi boiler flat out for an hour um, so yeah I think the shower even better if you did have in one bathroom a shower and a bath you could do the 40 degree bath, sit in that for 20 minutes, jump into the shower, do a cool shower, jump back into the bath and you could do your hot and cold immersion and then if you're an athlete and this isn't something you want to do all year round, this could be a great way of just getting some acclimatization to hot environments before your big event. So with that, um, yeah, it does look like Hot and cold exposure is extremely good for you, however, not better than physical exercise. This has triggered my interest into possible benefits of heat exposure for athletes before any major event, and I may end up going into some other tangent about that more than I already have. But thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more content like this, there are plenty of other previous episodes to check out, but before you do, why not follow the podcast and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts from? Or even better, share it with a friend. That's probably the best way to get the podcast to spread. For any comments, feedback, um, or if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, I can be contacted at the vo2lounge at gmail.com. And with that, I will see you in the next one.